you know I can do this, clear up this thing. So let's do it. If we were to have gone down yesterday into the city center and interviewed people about God, it would be intriguing, the hundreds of responses, just about the confusion about who God is, whether he or she is like this, whether it or the spirit or the presence or whether God even exists at all. Amazing confusion. It happens in the church. One of my favorite pictures uh, comes from a painting of God being the hairy thunderer of the heavens who's, who throws lightning bolts of judgment at anybody who's made a mistake. I actually thought about preaching that one. That'd be fun. You all get kind of nervous and thinking, I like this. If you're on either the east coast of Australia or the west coast of the United States, there's also a lot of talk about God as uh, sort of the cosmic muffin in the sky who just loves everyone. And at the end, there's always a group hug of some sort. Let's clear this up. What I want to do today is paint you pictures of God. I don't want to tell you much. I don't even want to give you much. I want you to see God. I want you to see images, pictures, things that will stick in your mind for a long time about who God is. Because mostly, mostly, God is the Father who heals your soul. When all else is stripped away, God is your Father who heals your soul. So look at the first few verses of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Who forgives all of our sins. Who heals all of your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Crowns you with love and compassion. Satisfies your desires with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We're going to really capture the God who heals our soul. We've got to receive our inheritance. All of that which God offers to you. So the psalmist starts here by saying, Bless the Lord. Bless, thank, praise God. It's the same word with different variations. It's an honoring of God. It's an elevation of God in your life. Thank, praise, honor God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. He says, I'm going to go deep with it. I don't want pictures of God only. I don't want to think about God. I don't want to just feel God. I want to go deep, deep down in the absolute core of my being. The depths of my being. I don't want to give this honor to God. There are six words for the soul used in the Old Testament. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This happens to be a unique one. It's the word for throat. But it just doesn't sound as poetic when you say, Bless the Lord, O my throat. It's nobody's favorite psalm if it starts that way. But the psalmist strategically used that one because... The throat represented for that time 
where all air comes in, goes out. Where all of the sustenance of life, food, drink, air, comes in through the throat. We know this. You want to take somebody's life away? Squeeze their throat. I'm not recommending it. They're saying it's, you can take care of their life just through their throat. So the psalmist uses this one as sort of the core of my being. All of how life and air and breath and everything comes into me. I want to give this kind of honor to God. And so he doesn't just leave it there. He says, now for the benefits. He forgives you. He forgives you, your past, your sins, your stuff. Those are the benefits. Can we have the benefits? Ah! He forgives us. He forgives us. He heals your soul. He heals your soul. Notice in the text it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. He heals all of your diseases. Now, let me take you back to grammar school. Probably somewhere between grade 5 and grade 8. Some of you are going, Yeah, those weren't fond memories for me. And am I going to be tested on this? No. No. But I do want to appeal to this grammatical side. Because as the psalm unfolds, I'm going to remember the word, the antecedent, comes out here. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He heals all of your diseases. Literally, it goes back to He heals all the diseases of your soul. You see, we as human beings in this life get so caught up with physical well-being When we take a hit to our physical well-being, it's one of the ways that so often people turn to God. God, please, help me. Heal somebody else. Take care of someone in my life, someone I love. We, We panic. And that's often the time when we ask God for things. Because of the physical thing, God's going, look, read the Gospels. I can heal like that. That is not the issue. See, I want to do more than that. I want to heal more than your body. I want to restore the soul. I want to bring a healing in the soul. And on the way, I'll take care of your body. You do your part, I'll take care of my part. He heals all of the diseases of the soul. He redeems your life. He buys it back. He created you. He wants you. You've gone your own way. He sent His Son to buy you back. He crowns you with good stuff. Just good stuff. My favorite word. Because you can do so much with it. He crowns you, you know, with good stuff. You decide that stuff. He'll give you that stuff. And he satisfies your desires with good things. One of the clearest ways he restores and heals your soul is to bring forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is one of those incredible things that is the key to so much of what this passage is about and so much of the way that God heals us. It's fascinating to me that church is supposed to be about forgiveness. And yet we've got people who sit in church, some of you, who may have sat in places like this for years and still have not figured out forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
There are very few things in Scripture that give us a sense of the classic behaviorism. You know behaviorism. Pavlov's dog. Stimulus response. Make the noise. Food gets, the dog gets the food. We do it with smells. You smell something, you go, I haven't eaten for five hours. I am so hungry. And some of you are going, that's a mean thing to do to us at half past 11. Now I'm ruined for the rest of the sermon. Can we have the forgiveness slide, please? But this is one of those. Forgiveness is one of those. A classic stimulus response. You forgive, God will forgive you. You don't forgive, God will not forgive you. You have anything against somebody else, forgive them. Anyone has anything against you, forgive them. This is one of the clearest things in Scripture that is foundational to healing of the soul. Forgiveness. And yet in churches around our world, people don't get real forgiveness. The concept of forgiveness is to be released. God releases you from the penalties of all of the rubbish of your life. He releases you. There is no condemnation. None. He releases. And as so, he offers release to you, and you can't hold on to it. See, one of the confusions about forgiveness is, what do I do with all this stuff? He releases you, you release it. It's simple release. Now, what fascinates me is the church doesn't spend much time talking about this. They simply say, oh, you're forgiven. Can, can, can you help me a little more? Can, can you help me experience this? Don't just tell me I'm forgiven. Show me how. Let me experience the depths of forgiveness. Take this one deep down in me, please. It's funny that one of the people who promotes forgiveness most in our world is Oprah. She's got, she's got this, uh, there, there's actually a Christianity Today cover story a little over a year ago called The Church of Oprah. It says there's millions of people, typically women, who have been hurt and abused of all sorts of things. And Oprah looks them in the eye and says to them, you know you have to forgive. You say, yeah, but I was this way. This person did this to me. This happened to me. She said, but if you don't release them, they will always have a hold over you. You have to release them so you can be free and release. So you, you go, girl. Now, why does Oprah get this? And sometimes in church, we, we don't clarify this. Your father, your father in heaven, the Father of your soul wants to bring a release to you. He does. I was in Western Canada, and I had had a, a leadership conference at a church, about 80 of their leaders for a weekend. And a good bunch of people really enjoyed them, a lot of fun. But I kept noticing these people didn't really seem to experience the forgiveness of God. Nice people did a lot for God. Good church, but somehow didn't really experience forgiveness very much. So I said to the pastor, you've still got a Sunday night service. Can I have a Sunday night service? And here's what I'd like to do. It's strategic. No emotion. 
I want to do 20 minutes of worship, a solid 20-minute teaching on forgiveness, and 20 minutes of response, praying for people. It's simple. So if nobody comes, we go for pizza early. It's a good night. So service got underway and was just perfect. Everything was on time. Good 20 minutes of worship. 19 and a half minute message. Said to the people, no emotional appeal. Here's what it's like. Some of you want and need to be forgiven by God and experience and, and even feel it. So here's what I'm going to do. Worship team's going to do one stanza of one song. There's one invitation. That's it. If you want it, come. We thought some people might come, so we had elders and spouses trained. We had some other sensitive women trained just in case we had more people who needed it than we could cover. And we got started. It was perfect. They hit the first note, center aisle filled. And it was just the pastor and me. And I said, where's the elders? He goes, they're third in line. People saw they weren't going to get prayed for quickly, so they bypassed this center line, and they just started going to the sides. They were kneeling across the front, sitting on the floor, sitting propped up against the walls. People were lying on the floor. And it started to get loud in there. Like, people, people were really expressing deep stuff to God. It, I mean, it was, it was uncomfortably loud. pastor turned to me, and he goes, Martin, I'm uncomfortable with this. I said, me too. Keep, keep praying. About 15 minutes later, he turned to me and he said, Martin, I am really uncomfortable with this. And I said, I'm really uncomfortable with this too. I said, do you want to shut it down? He goes, no, I just want you to know I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I said, me too, keep praying. It took us two hours and 15 minutes to pray for everybody who wanted to pray for that night. And as soon as we were done, he looked at me and he said, I want to see you in my office. <laughs> and I thought, this is like back in high school. I'm in trouble again. I got called to the principal's office. It happened to me regularly when I was in high school. I thought, this is going to be fun. I'm going, to, I'm going to get punished, disciplined, yelled at, scolded. I can take it. We got in there, sat down. He leaned back in his chair, propped his feet up on the desk, put his hands behind his head. And he said, tell me what just happened out there. Well, obviously, I was right. I just didn't know how big the issue was. And he said, I did it to the people, didn't I? I said, yeah, but not intentionally. He said, you sort of did the same thing that Old Testament leaders did in wanting people to keep the law of God. They put extra laws on them, additions and deletions to the law. He said, it's, it's why the, by the time Jesus came along, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they so wanted the people to lead holy lives, they'd given them so many rules. The people didn't enjoy relationship with God. He said, you just wanted to motivate your people. We went at it a little bit the opposite way of the... He put his head down, and I looked, and there were spots, drops on the desk. And just then, one of the elders knocked, and I thought, good timing. He said, go get, go, get his, go get the pastor's wife and a couple elders. We're going to pray for the boy. And we did. It took us a while. I didn't get pizza to almost 11. <laughs> Bad night. Bad night. 
But I, have, I learned a lesson that night that I've used in endless numbers of countries now. The people want and need to experience forgiveness. Not just cognitively know it. Experience it. God's going to heal your soul. Let's go to the next part of this passage. Verses 6 through 12. To embrace this offer. Not just know the benefits. Embrace it. We're not going to read this part of the passage just because it unfolds. These are the statements. God is on your side. He is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He abounds in love. He doesn't accuse you. That's something else going on if you're feeling accused. He doesn't make you pay for your sins if you're willing to repent. He wants to release you from those, from their penalty, from their power, from their control, from the pain of those. He wants to release you from that. That's what God does. Continues on in verse 10. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. He loves us dramatically. He forgives us completely. Please capture that. He forgives us completely. I want to paint one picture for you. Look at the bottom of this slide. One of the Old Testament prophets, Micah, says, God, will you have compassion upon us? Will you tread our sins underfoot? and bury our sins in the depths of the sea. I want you to do something with me. I want you to go east from here. I know Westerners don't like to go east, but go east for just a little bit. I need you to go to the top of Mount Kosciuszko, your highest points in all of Australia. Stand on the top of that. Because the writer, the ancient writer here, didn't know science. All he knew was, God removes our sins from us as far as the rising of the sun is from the setting of the sun. So I want you to go to the top of Mount Kosciuszko and look to the east, the rising of the sun. Then I want you to do something God loves to do. Look west. That's how far he's removed your sins from you. Then I want you to come out here Pick some place in the southwest corner of Australia. Pick your favorite beach. And I want you to go stand on that beach and look out over that beautiful ocean. And realize that he has taken all of your sins, all of your rubbish, all of your junk. And he's taken it out there and he has buried it in the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. And you can't go fishing for it again. It's gone. He wants to heal your soul. That's what your father's like. That's what he wants to do for you. I promise. Let's look at how this passage wraps up. It's time to receive and embrace him as father. Don't just come to church. Come on, don't just come to church. This is about so much more than that. This is about the totality of your being. This is about the core of your existence. This is that tough stuff down in your gut. That your Father wants to reach in, pull it all out, and heal your soul. That's what He wants. 
It's about his compassion. It's about his understanding. It's about the depths of his love. Let's look at verses 13 through 16. As the Father has compassion upon his children, so the Lord has compassion upon those who fear him or who love him. He knows how we were formed and remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like the grass, flourishes like the flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone. Its place is remembered no more. Let's focus on verse 13 for a minute. As the Father has compassion upon his children, so the Lord has compassion upon those who fear him. I want to give you another picture of God as Father. Just before I got up, you sang the song Heart of Worship written by Matt Redman. For the last about 13 years, I've been running mentoring networks in various countries around the world. And in the mid-90s, did one in England, and Matt Redman was a part of one of our mentoring networks, mentoring groups. It was fun hanging out with him and the group. It was, it was uh, I think, as good as it was for them. It was fun to see how God was using so many of them. One Sunday, I was preaching at Soul Survivor, uh, where Mike Pilavachi's pastor, Matt, was a worship guy there. Sunday, went, Sunday morning went very well. The afternoon, we took the afternoon off, went over to Windsor and had some fun. And about 5 o'clock, they turned to me and they said, you're preaching tonight. I'm not scheduled to preach. I didn't bring anything. I don't have a PowerPoint. I preach. <laughs> and they said, come on, you, 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 you can do something. Well, that was, it was just one of those nights Soul Survivor met in the warehouse. Sunday nights, there were no chairs. You just sat on the floor. Next Sunday, we're going to try it here. I, I'm, no, I'm serious. We're going to try it next Sunday here. You can get more people in. It, it's, it's, a, it's a different environment. We're going to try it. Well, unusual people just wandered in that night, more than usual. They had to tear down their cappuccino machines and their tables with goodies on them. And uh, I had one little spot. I was just sitting there, and I stood up, and it was less than a three-foot circle. That's all the movement I had. I had my Bible, and I couldn't move. And uh, I preached Psalm 103. Very unstructured, just walked through the text. I got to this verse. And I looked out on these unusual young people from all across the, the west side of London. And it was... a Thriving well then. Lots of people with these big spike things. You've you got to be careful when you pray for them. You can poke your eye out. <laughs> and uh, They were multicolored and unusual looking people. And I got to this passage. And it wasn't planned, but I looked out upon them. And I felt like a father with orphans. And I remember looking at them and saying, Your parents wish they could have done a better job, many of them. They didn't and they couldn't. And I said, uh, my kids are almost some of your age. They're in their, my kids are in their 20s. And if they were here with me, they would say, what I want to say to you, that even though your parents may not have done an ideal job, your Father in Heaven is nothing like them. I said to them, on behalf of your parents, I want to say we're sorry. And I want to tell you, God will never let you down. I promise. And I moved on. And I began to hear sniffling coming 
and rumbling around, wrestling, people looking for tissues. And I thought, I'm going to wrap this message up pretty quickly. And I did. And I just turned to Matt and I said, Matt, we need one song. And we're going to do a worship and prayer time for whoever wants prayed for tonight. And for the first time, Matt said, I got a new song. It's called Heart of Worship. And he sang it. And it took us forever that night to pray for unusual people. And I walked away that night and I said, it's easy to do with youth and young adults. But this is the message for adults and for parents. You see, the same God who wants to heal and restore those young people wants to do that same thing in you so you can pass it on. He wants to be a father to you in the same way. I don't care if you're in your 20s or your 80s. He wants to do the same. And I remember walking out that night saying, the next time, the next time I preach Psalm 103, it's going towards the adults and especially towards the men. This is the next time. Men, I'm coming after you. The doors are locked. You can't run. <laughs> Let's wrap this psalm up because it wraps up so well. Verses 17 and 18 are about embracing his extravagant love. Listen, listen. From everlasting to everlasting, not just as far as the east is from the west, but from everlasting past to everlasting future, the Lord's love is for those who fear Him, who love Him, who honor and revere Him, and His righteousness, capture this, to the children's children. God wants us to pass it on to the next generation and the next and the next, to the children's children. And so God offers you Himself. You know Him. He's the one who forgives and heals and redeems and crowns you with good stuff. And He satisfies you deep in your soul. He wants to be your Father. And He wants you to represent Him. Six minutes from now. Women, you're on your own today. Six minutes from now, I'm going to ask about two handfuls of men. You know who you are. God will make it clear. If you're not one of those today, it's okay. But if you're somewhere between late teens and 80, I'm going to ask you to meet me. and We're going to become a part of a company of men who are going to represent God well here. Men don't do impulsive responses, so I'm giving you some time. Between now and then, I want you to watch the screen. Get some more images of God.
Just in a moment, uh, Martin's going to come up and call those men to, to meet with him just out in the foyer area. But uh, before we finish, let's just, uh, as a whole group here this morning, let's just bow our head in prayer. God, we thank you for what you've done in our hearts this morning.